Sego, Sewaguego. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to our Yohate Negasuna, the Road to Your Name podcast, focusing on Haudenosaunee cultural topics recorded on Haudenosaunee territory in the summer and fall of 2020. These podcasts are produced by Aboriginal Legal Services. My name is Lisa Venevri from the Mohawk Nation and Wolf Clan. I'm the coordinator of the Yohate Negasuna Road to Your Name program. Welcome to the Ohate Negasuna podcast series. If you would like to learn more about our organization, Aboriginal Legal Services, and the programs and services we provide, please visit us at our website, www.aboriginallegal.ca. And if you feel inclined and would like to make a donation, you can click on the word donate located on the bottom of the page of our website. You can also visit us on Facebook at Aboriginal Legal Services, Toronto, Canada. During this podcast, we will learn about Mohawk poet E. Pauline Johnson, who was born at Six Nations of the Grand River on March 10th, 1861. For years, I lived within a stone's throw from where the Johnsons lived, but what did I really know about my neighbors? Recently, I had the opportunity to learn some interesting things about my famous neighbor, E. Pauline Johnson, and her family. Through stories told by the former curator of Chusewood, I began to see Pauline as not only a writer and a reciter of grand poetry and prose, but also as a woman with liberal ideas who honored her literary gifts and embraced life. She cared about social injustices and was able to celebrate her mixed heritage when others found it to be a disadvantage. Drawing on a strong foundation of beliefs instilled in her by her father, Chief George Henry Martin Johnson, Pauline traveled across Canada and to England to experience life outside the boundaries of the reserve at Six Nations. She read the classics. She discussed politics. She wrote about love. She traveled. She never married. She fought with her sister. She loved hard-boiled eggs. Her rhythmic writing is unmistakable. Her love of nature is evident. Her cultural pride is clear. Pauline was a fascinating woman who lived a life before her time. What if she were alive today? Would she be a common face seen at community meetings? Would she be writing for the community newspaper? Would she be the star of a reality show, The Johnsons? Would she be bridging cultural divides as she did when she lived? In many photographs and paintings of Pauline that I had seen, she wore her buckskin performance dress and bear claw necklace. To actually see the originals in all their genuine glory is something I'll not soon forget. When Pauline died, the people of the city of Vancouver lined the streets for her funeral procession. Flags flew at half mast. The city sent a huge floral arrangement and mourned the loss of an artist they had come to love. To this day, Pauline is the only person granted permission to be buried in Stanley Park. After her death in 1913, E. Pauline Johnson's work continues to be relevant in Canadian literature, and her life is an inspiration to other literary artists. 
And here to talk about how Pauline inspired her work is Mohawk poet Janet Marie Rogers. Sego Janet. Sego Lisa, how are you? <laughs> oh, really well. I'm so glad you're here today to talk about Pauline. I love talking about Pauline. Me too. I could talk about her all day long. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about Pauline that has inspired you so much? Um, well, I think I, it's hard to kind of pinpoint when I learned about Pauline Johnson and when I started writing, because I think the two are kind of in the same neighborhood, but what came first is kind of unclear to me. It was around um, 96, 94, 96, when I moved to the west coast of Canada on Coast Salish Territory um, in 1994. And I think it was about, oh, two years later uh, that I started kind of writing um, in a serious way. Uh, you know, more than kind of hobby writing, more than just writing on the weekend or whatever it was like. I was paying attention to writing and, and, and consciously kind of developing the writing then. And but I think it was just prior to that, my father had handed me a book, um, Flint and Feather, and it was a paperback edition. It was like, you know, more of a more kind of a contemporary modern edition um, of Flint and Feather by Pauline Johnson. And he said, he just kind of handed it to me very casually and said, here, I think you might be interested in this. And I'm like, great, <laughs> thanks. Um, I didn't think too much about it. And, um, and then uh, the more I was writing, the more I was kind of learning about her. And then I realized that the parallels, and I say this not to be mysterious or not to be like, ooh, like, you know, too kind of esoteric about it. But the more I was learning about her, the more I was kind of recognizing parallels between her life, her career, and my life and my career. And so that, that made me pay more attention to her as the writer. So they say that Pauline has had, um, she had traveled across Canada 19 times. Have you done um, nearly that many times? I've traveled <laughs> uh, quite a bit, actually, in my career as a writer and, um, it, you know, in this kind of, um, COVID time, uh, that's one of the things that has really changed in the uh, progression of my of my careers that I've really been, you know, kind of grounded at home at Six Nations. And um, but yes, I understood that travel was uh, very much important. It was vital to her having a career. Without traveling, there was no way she was going to be able to reach the audiences that she did. Um, there was no way that she was going to be able to make a living uh, for herself as a writer, which she did. Um, and I think she enjoyed it uh, overall. You know, that was my, I mean, why would someone stay on the road for that long if they didn't enjoy it? Because it's rough. Um, and if you can imagine, like, there were no airplanes um, to take people around at that time. So it was, it was train travel. It was like dusty, stinky, smaller hotels. It was, it was dangerous um, uh, as well. So I think that, you know, that the travel was part of the recipe that was included in, in Pauline being a poet. It was definitely necessary and a, and a big part. And, and she was so inspired by her travels, too. You know, she was that was that was a big part of what enabled her to write about the country, about the lands that were actually just forming, you know, and to be a country. Uh, it was um, she started writing uh, pre-confederation and then post-confederation so it's a very interesting time for her yeah and what amazes me even to this day is that she traveled alone as a woman 
I think she would have preferred to travel alone all the time, but I know that she did um, partner up with uh, Frank Yee. No, was it Frank Yee in Toronto? No, it was um, her uh, McRae, Walter McRae, who uh, she partnered with, and he was kind of like her opening act. But also he was her travel companion because she needed that. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm sure it would have been highly suspicious. Um, she would have appeared to be highly suspicious to travel uh, so independently on her own and across the border and then especially over to England. Um, and when she went to England, I don't think she had a travel companion, but she uh, uh, kind of armed herself with these letters of introduction so that, uh, again, it didn't look, she didn't look to be suspect um, going into like these homes and these parlors where she read and like she could be received um, by people of note in in what was forming to be Canada um, so that she could you know kind of mm, f be safe over while she was over there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know I sometimes I just wish Pauline was here today yeah because she'd be still relevant today as ever I one of my favorite poets is Robert Frost but I still have to say that Pauline had such a command of the language much more than the noted poets of the time her command of the and her rhythmic um, the rhythm of the language the 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 rhythm she put into the language I should say was really something that I think she um, inherited from her community. That's possible. Um, it, you know, she was brought up, like you said, with the classics, with um, you know, uh, as were as was fed to her through her mother, the English woman, and so she probably picked up that. And it was very much how poetry was presented in the time. Um, in using those, uh, the four line rhyming, you know, I don't know what they even call them couplets. I haven't, you know, studied that, but um, to hear it, and when you do read it out loud, and I have read a number of her pieces out loud, there is definitely the rhythm that goes along with the message. And to me, that is the job of the poet is to make something that lands pleasant on the ear, um, whether it rhymes or not, you know, but write the poetry into the poem you know what I mean um, and she did that definitely she it, it was a lot of her work did have a romantic tone to it even when she was writing about the injustices um, perpetrated against indigenous people which she did um, and even when she was writing about uh, promoting uh, pro-female kind of notions within her poetry it, it, it was still poetry and, um, you know, the fact that she was reciting it was, again, another aspect that you didn't see a lot of poets do even back then, uh, this kind of theatrical recitation. And so she did a number of things for herself to help herself stand out in this sea of poets and writers at that time, which, of course, were, you know, 99.9% .9 men. <laughs> so she did this all on her own, which was really brilliant. And you had to do that, make yourself stand out, be an entrepreneur. And um, she, was her, she was her own business, 
She was the product of her, her business. She managed herself. Yeah. She, she booked her own tours. It was crazy when you think about it. Like, you know, really, she was 100% all about, she was like team Pauline, like her, herself. Yeah. And she had no PR people behind her. Heck no. But, you know, but luckily, you know, she was on that because now we can look back in the archives and we see examples of the posters that she created um, on, you know, for her tours. And uh, the photographs, the promotional photographs that she bankrolled herself to have made. And again, now we have evidence of who, what she looked like when she was performing and, you know, when she was on the road and so on and so forth. And just the, the different letterheads that she was writing, corresponding with people uh, to um, the letterheads from different hotels and different locations. I just, I just think this is so great. And I really don't think that... She intended it to become this kind of historical archive, but it has, lucky, lucky for us. <laughs> yeah. Um, so from October 1892 to May 1893, Pauline performed 125 recitals in 50 Ontario towns. My goodness. Even by today's standards, oh that's, that is a grueling tour. That's amazing. You would think that someone who worked as hard as that would be able to retire on the money. But Pauline, and this is, you know, uh, through, again, research and evidence that she left behind, was not good with money. And so that, and I, again, I think that was the other part that kept her on the road for so long is like she, it was hand to mouth for her. Mm -hmm. um, there were no savings that she could rest upon. Um, so yeah, as long as she was on the road, she was making money and that was part of it. So yeah, the, the grueling, I mean, and, and I think she was up for it too. The constitution of her health and her physicality, uh, being a, you know, a, a person, an out, outdoors woman, uh, paddling and, you know, just living in the, in the fresh air outdoors, um, helped her to maintain that grueling pace, I think, for the most part, the majority of her life before she fell ill later in her life. I would love to be able to hear her voice and Me what too. it sounded like. Yeah, that's the one thing through all the research I have done. And trust me, I'm sure there's people who've done more research than me. But that was the one thing that I regret not being able to locate is a recording of her voice. I would cry tears of joy if I was able to find a recording of her. Um, so as such, you know, what I do in that sense is I always say that, you know, as artists, we create what we're looking for. Um, whether it's, you know, uh, answers to relationships or um, deeper connections with our environment or what have you. I started recording, I believe, because I really wanted to hear her. And so I started just re recording became my almost default to writing. I would write because I wanted to record. And I think that was a way for me to kind of hopefully hear a bit of her in, in the recording. One of the best-known poems she has is In the Shadows. Um, I love that poem. In the Shadows was written in the family canoe, which she paddled up the Grand River a short distance. She drifted underneath a willow tree, which overhung along the bank of the Grand River, and it was there that she composed the poem In the Shadows. And we can find that specific spot today if we want it to along the Grand River. Isn't it amazing? It's yeah. so amazing. I mean, there. I mean, and the house itself has become like this. Um, I call it hallowed ground for for poets who who knew, know her and who 
you know, kind of credit her for for the path that she paved for all poets. And so when I go to Chiefswood, and I'm so thrilled that now I get to go whenever I want, um, it is, it's still hallowed ground for, for me as a poet. Yes, um, Chiefswood and Pauline's childhood home is a place that I think everyone should visit um, if they get a chance to visit there. And and um, if you go online, you can actually see the picture. If you look up Chiefswood, you can see the picture of her childhood home, which is it faced the river and it faced the um, roadway and it looked the same on each side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The do du the duality, which again, you know, when you can't speak about Pauline without addressing the duality within her identity and the work that she did and, she, and the duality with which she presented her work as well, because she did do the English gown uh, perform bit, bit of her performance and then she would change do the costume change. And it was a costume. It wasn't regalia. It wasn't an outfit of any tradition of any sort. Um, it was a costume that she had put together um, and would present, you know, perform in, in the costume. Um, this Indian costume. So she even, she she embraced, she leaned into, if you will, um, the duality within her identity and the duality that served her performance too. I mean, it was, the, to me, it was like the most honest thing that she could have possibly done. If she came out into the world uh, just as an Indigenous person, then I think that, you know, we, I mean, and I think she got a lot of questions too when she traveled they you know people addressing the fact that she was a fair-skinned person that her features weren't terribly indian looking and she would say well you know she, she would just have a sharp answer for for that every single time because she's just so witty um but in in addressing both sides on stage it was the most you know honest thing that she could have possibly done yeah um, so I mentioned before that Pauline was the only person allowed to be buried in a provincial park to this day. Um, she was cremated and her ashes lie in a uh, in um, Stanley Park in British Columbia. Now, you've probably visited there many times. Several times, yes. And so what was it like to go there and um, was there was there inspiration felt? Yeah, it was very emotional, like for, you know, for me being having lived um, so many years on the West Coast. And I remember I can really clearly remember the first time I found her grave marker. And it was it's actually the marker of uh, where her ashes are entombed. And um, it's along a bit of a busy roadway. It's beside this very popular tea house um, in Stanley Park. And yet when you approach the um, memorial uh, site, you have to walk into a bit of a grove that's surrounded by cedar trees. And these cedar trees, if you can imagine, are really old cedar trees and they, and their cedar boughs hang low around the grave site or the memorial site. And so it really feels like you're, you're, you're in a very personal space there. And it was just a lovely, lovely feeling to be able to, to connect with Pauline there because her likeness is um, uh, carved into the, the memorial stone and there's a bit of a, a little fountain that trickles down. And I know every um, year around March, they clean up the site because they know a lot of people are gonna come um, uh, to pay honor to Pauline and that's around her 
her birthday and her death day. She died like three days before her 52nd birthday in March. So every year around that time, the um, Vancouver Parks uh, cleans up the, the site, which is so nice to see. And I've left many gifts there. I've left mm -hmm. some tobacco there and some, uh, I think I left a book there one time, one of my books. And, you know, it's always, it was always a lovely, a lovely time to visit. It's kind of like the John Lennon um, Imagine um, place in New York. It's very much like that. Yeah, mm. very much. I think that there was, um, uh, you know what, the way that I experience Pauline today is she comes in waves culturally. Like I find that there's periods in time, even within my lifetime, that I've recognized where, oh, I'll meet up with a, a, a few Pauline enthusiasts, like much like myself <laughs> and yourself, Lisa. Mm -hmm. And they kind of come in waves and like, and she kind of comes back and then she'll, she'll ebb out again and then she'll come back in again. And um, yeah, she's, she's magical. She's still around uh, at the, in your intro, when you said you wished that she was, Pauline was still around. Well, I couldn't agree with you more, but at the same time, I kind of think she still is around. Like she's around in spirit. She helps, I think, a lot of us in our creative time. I have oftentimes prayed to Pauline Johnson. Um, when I've been traveling in BC, I pray to her a lot. And um, even today, like I, when I pass her home, I always say hello. I say hello to her and I say hello to her family when I'm driving by her house. So, you know, we, those who do know her and value the part that she played in, in women, native women writers today, um, keep her alive. Really, mm -hmm. really, I think that's true. And Pauline, she's been on a postage stamp. That's right. She's had um, chocolates named after her. Right. <laughs> And um, schools, named schools. After. There's a school in yeah. Brantford named after Pauline. Yeah. Um, so we've never really at Six Nations. We've never ever forgotten Pauline. No, no, and that's and that's good. Even though you know, as a character, as a person, she kind of has this contentious take. You know, people have a contentious take on her and her history because she did sell a lot of her family's items. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, which was kind of taboo uh, to do because they're, they're ceremonial, they're sacred, they're historical, you know, they're, they're items that you wouldn't sell. Um, but she did that again, you know, I have to say in her defense, um, there was no Canada Council travel grant or Ontario Arts Council travel grant. And uh, by doing that, she, she kept herself on the road. Mm -hmm. making money so there was a mean it was a means to an end yes and and I think today you know um, Pauline probably could make she'd probably still be writing and um, she could make a living from her writing people do do that yeah today, today. yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah and she like she had a versatility within her writing too she was writing adventure stories for Boy Scout magazine or something like this. Um, she was writing, well, poetry as we know. Um, and she was just, she was writing short stories because she was interpreting the stories that were given to her through Chief Capilano and Mary Agnes, Chief, Chief Capilano's wife, which then became, you know, the collection of sorts, short stories known as Legends of Vancouver. So she had this versatility 
uh, to write. She wrote articles, she wrote short stories, she wrote poetry. I'm sure, you know, if she was alive, she'd definitely have a blog <laughs> <laughs> ongoing, uh, maybe even a podcast. <laughs> I'd be subscribing to both. Same, 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 same. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much for um, talking with me about Pauline. I love to talk about Pauline. Me too, anytime. <laughs> and I would really like to hear you read sure. some poetry. Oh, I would love to. Um, I could read uh, one of her pieces or one of, one of her pieces. Um, how about you read one of her pieces and one of your own pieces? So I've got... Um, an older edition of Flint and Feather. Let's see what year. This was the Munson Book Company Limited in Toronto. Uh, and this uh, latest edition, Copyright Canada 1931. So this is the 20th edition, it says, of uh, Flint and Feather. And let's, I'm just gonna uh, randomly open. Shall I randomly open? Mm -hmm. The Mariner, Wreck and Stray and Castaway. Once more adrift, o'er dappling sea and broad lagoon, o'er frowning cliff and yellow dune, the long, warm lights of afternoon, like jewel-dusting sift. Once more, awake, I dreamed an hour of port and key, of acreage not meant for me, the sea, the sea, the hungry sea, came rolling up the break. Once more afloat the billows on my moorings pressed, they drove me from my moment's rest, and now a portless sea I breast, and shelterless my boat. Once more away, the harbor lights are growing dim, the shore is but a purple rim, the sea outstretches gray and grim. Away, away, away. Once more at sea, the old, old sea, I used to sail, the battling tide, the blowing gale, the waves with ceaseless underwhale, the life that used to be. Mm, that is beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Jeez, I don't know if I have anything to compare to that, but <laughs> let's see what I've got here. I will read a poem that is, is for Pauline. And so I'm, um, I'm currently working on a um, new anthology of writing that will be uh, live under the title The New Legends of Vancouver. I wanted to kind of keep um, that collection alive with the new voices of today. So uh, the anthology will include um, writers, pieces from the West Coast. Lee Maracle will be in there. Uh, Maurice Nahaney, um, uh, Leonard, uh, sorry, uh, William George, who is a descendant of Chief Dan George, and they all are, you know, very rooted in the West Coast there, and um, as well as uh, new pieces by me. This is one of them. This is called Pauline's Vancouver Today. Where snow-capped guardians line shores of the north, where villages rich in copper-toned citizens, she sees towers of glass clumped together. Themselves forcing the eye to believe these are the new mountain ranges, reflecting themselves and everyone in them into infinity. That's longer than forever, she thinks. 
at the apex of the bridge where England's lions lie in wait for what we are inconvenienced, flashing lights of authority warning stay away, they tend to a man slunk between chains. This man is finished, looking out to a city offering so much to so many himself never getting any. He dreams about flying. He thinks about sinking. The men holding him from his desperation have no right to stop him. Humanity, where is it? Slow-moving commuters witness to this momentous decision begs the question. Back to Pauline and Lord Stanley, a saved bit of nature she could always turn to. It is to her what Beacon Hill was to Emily, two women Progressives nestled in the high treetops, clouds and water sparkle. They watch women hand in hand, gentlemen cuddle upon the lawns in many ways. This is what it was always about for them. This purpose, acceptance. There is no turning back, too many hands in the pocket controlling the shape of the city. And still they say, she's so pretty. The light catching the last of natural surroundings. That's why she wrote, to bring it back to mind's eye, in romantic voice, yes, but more importantly, as an outsider writing from inside, not home, no ancestors of her own to greet her in the forest, always speaking proper as her upbringing in gracious phrases to support her loyalty to it all. What questions pen themselves in your silent prayers, Pauline? in the knowing of your leaving, drinking it all in as much as you could before cold gray fog rolled over a personality so bright it attracted all the dignitaries and people of note. We see you against the backdrop of cedars surviving you. I touched them knowing you touched them too, listening. But the city has too many distractions. Its harbors are trade markets, rotting the bottom of your canoe, wild cat. Look around again. Can you believe it? Do you like it? Could you survive it today? Mm. Now that was truly Pauline inspired. Ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, it's it for me. Every time I went to Vancouver, when I lived on the west coast, I was um, it was it was about connecting to Pauline because that's where she left the world from mm -hmm. that place. So. Mm -hmm. And really, kind of ties the whole country together, Pauline. You know, when you think about it, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. she did. It was a yeah a, a um, byproduct of who she was and what she did. Well, if you're a Pauline enthusiast like Janet Marie Rogers and myself, you can visit Chiefswood National Historic Site. Go on the web and you will find it at chiefswoodnhs.ca. Emily Pauline Johnson was born between 11 and 12 on Sunday, March 10th. 1861 at Chiefswood in the square room overlooking the Grand River. She was named after her mother, Emily Susanna Howells, and Pauline, Napoleon's sister. She adopted the name Degahyonwage, which means two streams in the Mohawk language. Pauline ventured to the sky world on March 7, 1913, at the age of 51. 
Yahweh for listening to the Yohate Negasuna Road to Your Name podcast, which has been produced by Aboriginal Legal Services and hosted by me, Lisa Venevri. There are 10 episodes in this podcast series. Let's meet again on the next episode. This has been the Yohate Negasuna podcast series. If you would like to learn more about our organization, Aboriginal Legal Services, and the programs and services we provide, please visit us at our website, www.aboriginallegal.ca. And if you feel inclined and would like to make a donation, you can click on the word donate located on the bottom of the page of our website. You can also visit us on Facebook at Aboriginal Legal Services, Toronto, Canada.